0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Vineyard. If you're joining us um, here or else online, we're so glad you're here. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and then also on our board. And, um, you know, I was thinking this week, I was, I was thinking a lot getting ready for today. And, and, and I know we talk about it a lot and probably too much at times, but the last 20 months have been really weird. There's been um, just something that's moved, something that's shifted in the atmosphere. It's almost like that quote, like in Lord of the Rings, when uh, anyone, Lord of the Rings fans, when it starts and she says, The world has changed. I see it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was, is, is lost. For none now live who remember it. It's a J.R.R. Tolkien quote from his book, Lord of the Rings, and then um, also in the movies. And it's like, you can feel it, you can smell it, you can sense it. There's just like, everything's changed on some level. And I think that um, it's really important to understand the times. Jesus has a great quote in Luke 12, verse 56, where he says this to the crowds. He says, you pretenders, are you trying to fool someone? You know how to interpret the weather and the seasons, but you don't know how to interpret what's going on in the present time. I think there's a spiritual precedent that's happening, and I think that there's something that if we were to, if I were to ask you, just one-on-one, do you want to see a move of God in our time? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to see a move of God in your own life enough to say, Jesus, take it all. Change everything. Move everything. Break everything. Remove everything. Because then when it gets down to, like, I'm really personal, I think a lot of times I want to see a move of God in your life more than I want to see it in mine. Right? <laughs> Like, I don't mind, oh, yeah, that, that, that person or there, like, they really need it. I mean, Debbie is just so full of darkness, she just needs Jesus to come visit her. She's a good friend, she knows I'm joking. Some people might run out here crying, Debbie, she'll just walk up to me and slap me or something afterwards, but, um, but I want to ask, what would it tangibly take for us to, um, to see that move, to see that move. What, what's, what's the cost of it? What's the cost of discipleship Jesus is inviting us to? I'm gonna pray. Father, will you show us what that is? I think it's a severe mercy on some level, Lord, of the things you wanna do in our hearts, in our lives. I think there's something drastic you wanna do, Lord, in all of us. You wanna do in this church, you wanna do in this time for your capital C church worldwide. Lord, everything's changed. We can, uh, you know, see it in the water, we can smell it in the air, we can feel it in the earth. Everything's changing, Lord. Help us not to be so stuck in what was that we miss what is to come. So Lord, we love you and we just bless you and we welcome you to come here today, Holy Spirit, and to uh, lead us and guide us into all truth as you promised you would do. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a season of change. It's a sea, it, there's winds of change there's cleansing and I believe there's fire um, that's here. And I, and I believe if we want to see a move of God we need to be aware first of what he's up to. I think he's sending a fire to cleanse his people. I think there is change in the earth that's happening because I believe Jesus is doing something and he's calling us back to real primal roots. If you even think about how the earth, like Jesus wasn't caught off guard by COVID. I think like I I had like this awareness not long into it. The disciple making movements that had been percolating for the last 20, 30 years that like just had been um, not even part of the church culture uh, like in America for the past 50 years. If those hasn't hadn't happened, the church as we know it would be sunk, right? If people didn't understand how to start praying alone and to meet in their homes and to meet in small groups together. Like, when the church shut down, um, it, it, caused a lot of, um, it caused a lot of things to happen, but the Lord wasn't caught off guard by this. And churches, churches reopened, and I think a lot of them, sadly, wanted to just go back to the same thing. Let's just go back to the big services, the spiritual TED Talks by the rock stars and the great music, and let's just think people will come back for the programs. But the fact is, people haven't, right? People haven't come back in droves. Because there's a lot of people, honestly, that just like, you know what? Golfing or being on the beach or sleeping in was better than going to church. They didn't really miss it that much. After a few times online, it's just like, this is for the birds. I can listen to a, a podcast or whatever of the best talk I want to hear, and I can just get what I want. I can get a speaker that I like that maybe if I don't like him or I don't like that message, I can just go the next one. We can, people who are like that have just not come back. They just haven't. And I'm not saying that if you're not in church or also if you're online, you know, I'm just saying people that have just kind of faded out, you know what I'm talking about, people that just kind of tuned out, that you're like, man, they used to be so involved, they used to love Jesus, and now they're just kind of doing their own thing. And I think what COVID did is, is the, the verse that kept coming to me for over a year is Jesus says that he is on his threshing floor with the winnowing fork. And this verse just kept coming to me, coming to me. And I didn't really put a lot of thought or study to it, but I said this to several people. I thought this a lot. I kind of prayed and mulled through it, and it just kept coming to me. And so as we're kind of in between series, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what should I talk about? You know, we just finished the stop for the one. Next week, we're going to talk about, talk about Christmas presents we're gonna talk about the real gifts that God wants to give to our lives that Im- impacts and improves the world. And this week I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And I just heard him say threshing floor. And I gulped. Um, I gulped because this, this, is a, this is not an easy message to deliver. Threshing, uh, threshing floor was always a bridge was always a bridge of separation. Didn't matter how good things were, how great the harvest was, the threshing floor was a painful, arduous place. And so I'm gonna share something today that I think is if we wanna know the signs of the time, I believe we're in a threshing floor time. And... um. And then, actually, as I had been praying about it, a lady, a lady who's, my, uh, who's my spiritual mother, Gail Mayberger, you've heard me talk about her. her, her son led me to Christ, and Gail sent me a word about the threshing floor as I was kind of praying about talking about the threshing floor. She said, here, I feel like I'm supposed to share this with you. I'm like, all right, that's it, Jesus, so here we go. So I want to tell you something interesting about a threshing floor. They didn't have, uh, like, the big machines that we had back in the day, um, for their wheat separation. Like with their grains, they didn't have combines and they didn't have like all the sophisticated uh, things that we have to separate our grain, right? So they basically took these rocks, they, they took these rocks, and so after harvest, the grain was separated from straw and husk by beating it. So you just put it on these rocks, you kind of made like a patio up on a mountain, and it had to be a place where there'd be a lot of wind. So you had to take these rocks up a mountain, or up a hill, because it had to be a place where there's wind, otherwise you would just keep mixing the good and the bad. And so what um, happened here was they would beat this, they'd beat this manually, and first there had to be a flat surface that was smooth and hard, so they either get up on that hill or that precipice, and they would have to level it out. And then they would um, do the process of what is known as threshing. Threshing. And so I'm going to read you a passage that will give you a little bit more definition. So if you'll turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. This is when John the Baptist comes to town. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word, that word there, repent, sometimes feels like a dirty word. Sometimes feels like a hard word. A lot of people don't even want to use it now. What that word means is to change. What it means is I'm going here, now I'm going there. That's what that means. It's like doing a 180. Or else it can mean that maybe I'm walking here now, but I'm veering off track. And it can also mean to shift. So it can mean a complete change or a shift. So he said, Shift for the kingdom of God is at hand, and it wasn't tangible. The kingdom of God was not something you could pick up and hold. And Jesus says, like, the kingdom of God's not here or there, but it's in you, like it's on you, like it's among you. It's this tangible thing, but you can't really quantify it Exactly. And in the vineyard, it's one of our values. It's like the now and not yet. Like we know Jesus' kingdom fully came when he rose, but also we aren't seeing the fullest inspre- expressions of it yet where everyone, where everything is set straight, okay? So repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one uh, uh, referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one cr- calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Or it could be transliterated, make his paths level. Word level is important, okay? Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. John was not gonna um, win any fashion contest. His food was locusts and wild honey. Have you ever thought about this? Do you know how you get wild honey? You go up against bees like, you're a little off. Like, I've seen, seen, like, grizzly bears, like, on National Geographic or something, go after honey, and they're like, like, I'm going to suffer through it because there's nothing else to eat. But it even bothers a bear. So let alone, like, a dude in the wilderness, like, went after honey, it was like, you know. And, um, and at that time, Jerusalem was going out to him. That means people were leaving, the, they were leaving the place they lived and going out to where John was. In all of Judea and the region around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. One thing, I'm going to stop there for a minute. One thing that's essential to a move of God, to the kingdom of God breaking in, is always repentance. <clears throat> if we want to see a revival, that fire that falls, that ignites us, also first cleanses us. That fire that falls ignites us, but it also cleanses us. Where is God wanting to clear out the clutter of your life? Where is he wanting to move in my life? Where are things that aren't appropriate to him? See, I think one of the things about John is John wasn't there to win a fashion contest. He, he had detached from this earth. He had detached from this earth. Part of what Jesus is calling us to on some level is he wants us to be heavenly-minded and earthly good, but he wants us first to be heavenly-minded. Where the stuff of this earth loses its hold in our hearts and our lives. And then he goes on to say this, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, I want you to just hear this. This could be uh, translated churchgoers and their pastors, okay? So before we think that the world needs a change, I want you to hear the, con. con, it's it's very important in the scripture that content and context intercept, that they intersect at the right place. John says this to the church people of his day, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Like he says, they were so busy doing the stuff, acting the stuff, but they weren't really about the stuff in their hearts. Like it did not change their day-to-day life. In the temple, they looked like one thing. In the church, they looked like one thing. But in life, the rest of it, it was a totally another thing. When they were on Facebook, it was another thing. When they were at work, it was another thing. When a really attractive person that wasn't your spouse or wasn't someone that you were married to walked by, it was another thing. And that's what John was talking about. He said, you brood of vipers. You're one thing here and another thing there. The things we talk about. The things we talk about. I mean, I've even heard, like, there's, I'm, I'm gonna just say this, this grave in my heart. There's been several times in the last several years in this church and like others, when I'm around people and people joke about spouse sharing, where people joke about, cheating or they joke about their other wife or whatever like this stuff is profane and 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 like people of the kingdom shouldn't talk about this stuff the way that we talk it says out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks like this stuff is unacceptable there are things friends that are unacceptable for godly people it doesn't mean that we won't struggle and that we don't but it means that we're not just going to settle on the lower plane It means that there's changes coming. There's winds, there's fire, there's fresh things coming that if we want to experience it, there's things that we've got to step into and step out of. And he says this, he says, you offspring, who warned you to flee? He says, therefore, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Think a lot of the church has actually gone astray. Is I think there's this terrible doctrine out there. I think, I think hyper Calvinism, I'm just going to say it, is a dangerous doctrine. This whole hyper once saved, always saved, that, and, and if, if you're a Calvinist, it's okay. I'm going to pick on that doctrine a little bit, not, not necessarily on you. But I think if you want to look at something, look at the root. Don't just look at the root, look at the fruit. What we see is most of America has embraced this hyper-Calvinistic doctrine that says once saved, always saved. Like, I can't do anything to earn it, therefore I can't do anything to lose it, therefore I don't have to do anything. So I just get this fire insurance and I can go about my life and I can keep doing what I did and it's all hunky-dory. Now I'm not saying we need to go hyper free will either, that if I pass gas in church or sneeze that I'm going to hell or I lost my salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's works based and we have to be perfect, but I think there's this medium somewhere, but I think the root and the fruit of this once saved thing, if you look at what it's done to our culture, our Christian culture, I would say um, you're gonna find a lot of your answers there. Don't just look at the fruit of the carnal, unregenerate, church that looks no different than the world the other six and a half days a week, look at the root of that doctrine that I, I don't believe is a right doctrine. Can you see things about predestination? Can you see things in the Bible that there are some things, but if you look at, if you start at the end and you start at the beginning and you run a zip line through it, the things that occur again and again and again, Jesus loves faith. Jesus loves trust. He loves surrender and perseverance. All of those are an act of the will. He says, I've already done my part. I made you a perfect world. I made you a perfect way back. Like, I made you a perfect way home. I've done all this, but he says those who get it are not the ones who receive some birthright or some sanitizing thing, but it's those who agree with me along the way. And I'm just saying, I think, I think there's tenets of this thing that are true. But I think Calvinism, taken out to its farthest extent, I, I think it borderlines, I mean, it's, it's a dangerous doctrine, I think, because I see the fruit of it. Because if, if God already knows who's gonna get saved, why would I evangelize? It puts no spiritual onus on us to be like Jesus. I believe it creates a culture of spiritual laziness on some level, and spiritual entitlement, And and that's not what the kingdom is like. And so John says, therefore, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And John, why would he talk about judgment to the people of God? Why would he be talking to them? If it was about, if it was something that I couldn't fall away from, why would he even talk about judgment? have the logical uh, syllogism, like the Aristotelian thought of, well, if this is true, then this must be true. Why would he talk about judgment to, to the believers if they couldn't fall off of their perch, if they were so secure because they were sons of Abraham? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That means that thing that happened at salvation, it's up to us to work it out with sanctification. Now, he does like the work in us and he gives us the spirit, but we have to, our part is to say yes over and over again. Say, yes, Jesus, I want to agree with you. I want to meet you. I want to be like you. And it's an invitation and it's a challenge. But it's very important to know that he says produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not assume you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't assume you can say to yourself, well, I got saved when I was 14, or I got saved when I was a little kid. That's what John's saying right here. Next slide. From these stones, God says, I'll raise up children of Abraham. And he says, the ax is already laid at the roots of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown in the fire. See, because these seeds of Abraham, this was a very endemic language to the Jewish people. Like, they knew that they were the spawn. They were the, um, they were the seminal emanation of Abraham. Like, they believed it. Like, they were, because they came from Abraham's body, they were his seed. And so this thing about the seeds and trees is very important that he says that these seeds became trees, and he says, but the ones that didn't produce fruit were being cut down. Is your life producing fruit? Is my, is my life producing fruit? And I know this is a hard message. I, I don't take any joy in this, but I just felt like this is, this is we gotta build a, do this thing and know what the times are because there's stuff that's happening and Jesus wants to use it for our good. Romans 8, he talks about how we use everything for our good if we'll just say yeah to him. Do you know that even though some of this stuff's hard, and there's some hard stuff God wants to cut out of your life and cut out of mine, there's stuff that if we let Jesus do it, it will be incredible. Because it's actually better for the orchard if the bad trees are cut out of it. Do you know that? Because the bad ones are still taking up space, they're taking up nutrients, they're taking up like supply, and if they have like a disease, they're infecting the other trees. And that's why John is saying this, and he says. They'll be cut down and thrown in the fire. That, that's basically a um, kind of ism for hell, for lack of a better term. He says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is coming after me who is mightier than I. Next verse. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather up the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So this threshing floor is a Old Testament picture of a place of separation. It's a place of actual judgment. Do you know judgment's good and bad? Judgment's really good. Like when we feel conviction, do you know that's really good because that's Jesus' way of saying, hey, I want you to come closer, but I'm a holy God. And unless you yield this to me, you can't come any closer because I'm holy and I demand righteousness. And so I love you enough that I'm warning you. I'm standing at the end of the cliff saying, don't come this way. You're going really fast. You're going really hard. You're going really blind. And if you go this way, it's curtains for you. So that conviction in our heart, that's actually a good thing. That's the beginning of judgment. And he says, I'm going to separate these things. Like a lot of scripture talks about judgment, that they're all together, and he does. And it says that the winnowing fork is on the threshing floor. And what they would actually do is they would beat the stink out of this wheat that grew. They'd beat it, beat it, beat it, and the chaff that, that fell off would blow away. Kind of like we started this message, that there's people that they just kind of float in and out of church. They float in and out of Christianity. And during COVID, they just floated away to do their own thing. This is a thing that there's a winnowing fork, there's a threshing floor, and they would beat it, and then they would grab this winnowing fork and they would do this and they would catch the garbage together and they would toss it off the mountain to just or they would toss it into the fire raging behind them that they had started. So Jesus says that, like, listen, it, this isn't for everyone. It is for everyone. I want no one to perish. But he says the only ones that are going to get it will be, be the ones who say yes to my lordship. Not just yes to my salvation, but they say yes to my lordship in their life. And friends, I believe God is calling us to be a holy church. Not holy in our own in our own capacity, or not that we turn our nose up at people, or not that we're perfect and we never mess up, it's just that we're holy means set apart. That Jesus, my life is designated for you. My life is designated, and this will come in all shapes and sizes. This will come in all shapes and sizes, and God always brings us up to that point because he wants us in that courtroom of heaven to declare us guiltless, to declare us spotless, to declare us innocent. So when he's whipping that thing around, he doesn't want there to actually be anything in it. He would love it if all that field just produced good wheat. But we know it doesn't. And John uses the imagery of the threshing floor to describe what the Messiah would do. He would separate the true believers from the false the true followers of Christ would be gathered in the kingdom just as grain is gathered into barns, while those who reject Christ would be burned up with unquenchable fire, just as the worthless chaff is burned. Interesting that God eventually had David build his temple on the spot of a threshing floor. That David built, it says um, that the first temple that it was. David purchased it from a, a guy named a guy named Ornan, who's the Jebusite. This this place, this plot, David bought. And he said earlier, he said, no, 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 I won't take something that costs me nothing. Like, David bought this place, and it was the place he used, eventually, where Solomon built the temple. And I think because that temple was meant to bring people in to the Holy of Holies. And there was like an eternal fire that would go on in the Holy of Holies. There would always be a flame lit to signify this thing the Lord was doing. And when we surrender to the Lord like John the Baptist did, do you know our lives have great impact on other people? Do you know your obedience, my obedience, always has an outward effect, whether it's if we're talking differently or what we talk about differently, what we spend our time on differently. Do you know it always has an effect of blessing on people. Now, there's a lot of times chiding for it. If you start talking different, thinking different, or you, uh, uh, I don't know, recuse yourself of certain conversations or certain things, um, it's gonna offend some people. But it's also going to give you opportunity to be used by the Lord for other people. Like It's imperative. It's imperative that we don't take offense at this. Jesus said, many will fall away on the account of me. When we really share the gospel, people do fall away because it's offensive to hear that I have to change. It's offensive to hear that God's not okay with everything in my life. It can be offensive. It's really hard and it's impossible. It's utterly impossible for you and I to change this on our own. It really is. And it's really hard to live in that balance of the now and not yet, that I'm here on earth, but I'm supposed to be looking more and more like Jesus, but I live in this earth. And that's, that's why, that's why you know, I didn't, wasn't like, hey, yes, I'm so excited to speak about this this morning, because this is, this is hard stuff. But worship should bring us close to God. Like, honestly, church, I think, I think that, I'm just gonna say this, I think people showing up late to church all the time, if you're that person, like, would you show up if Jesus was physically standing here? I mean, you, I hope you show up on time to work. Hope you show up on time to your kids' sporting events or stuff like that, but, but we hang out and we come in halfway through worship, and that's the place where God wants us, cleanse us. I mean, honestly, I think maybe the most important thing that we do all week in here is that we pray and we worship. Seriously, there's a lot of churches where it's like, oh, we'll just come sing nice songs. And, and like, I get it, but like, like, like this church, we're worshiping. We're going to the throne room and we're saying, come on, heaven, meet earth. Jesus, I love you. And so I, I, I encourage you, if that's a challenge for you, take that seriously. Take that seriously to be in here on time, to not be disruptive when you come in. Like, this is the place we're meeting God. And he's holy. He is holy holy. Like, listen, anyone who ever saw him or caught a glimpse of him fell as dead. They cried. They shook. They were terrified. They wanted to run away. Like, when we meet God someday, even though we're his kids, there is going to be something that is going to be an, oh my goodness. I did not expect that. He's not this little old man on the camera. Hey, guys, when you come with me, I love you. You want a cookie? <laughs> like, he's not gasping for, for breath. He doesn't have a long beard down to his feet and a bad back. Like, listen, this guy never changes. It says that he drives out the kingdom of darkness with his finger, the thing none of us could ever subdue on our own together he does with a push of a button. Since says he made the world that like out of his hands, salvation just came from his arm. Like all this stuff that we could never even fathom or cook up was just in his hands, let alone his whole persona. So he's, he's not a God to be trifled with. He's a God to greatly love because he's a lover, but on the other hand, he is not one to trifle with. Because he will never, he'll never make an exception to his values or to his personhood for you or me. There'll be no exceptions there. There's no good people that'll be good enough to get into heaven. There'll be no people if you, like, well, I, I heard about Jesus, but I like being Buddhist more. That, he says, I am the only way. I'm exclusive. But he says, but it's a free offer for everybody. You don't have to do anything to earn it, but you do have to say yes to it. It's not just carte blanche. It's, you, you have to say yes to it. Because his winnowing fork is at his threshing floor. In the times where we live in, this is apparent, this is obvious, this is happening, whether we like it or not. Um, In the Old Testament, Hosea the prophet said, because Israel had repeatedly turned from God into false idols, his judgment was upon them and he would scatter them to the winds as chaff from the threshing floor. So God, I believe, is in the earth and he's taken this harvest and he's beating it and he's pressurizing it and he's distilling it and I believe his winnowing fork is here in our time and he's seeing what will just fly away, drift away, like a little snowflake in the wind, or what will stay there of substance? What will stay of substance? Um, so the threshing floor, I believe, is three things. I think we have that up there. It's a place of separation, humiliation, and of revelation. If you're wondering what Jesus is doing, it's like that's, that's the kind of stuff that does come in our lives. Like I had a really, really uncomfortable conversation this week with a staff member, and they kind of brought up to me something about myself that was a blind spot. And I did not, I did not like when I was hearing it, but then I, I had an opportunity later on to just see twice in a row within like a day and a half that blind spot was very obvious that I got this spot, like, in my life, or sometimes I can just come off a little ticked or a little miffed or a little short. And that's just not, that's not love. Like, God's not mad at us. Like, god God's not mad at you. He's not saying all this. He's not mad. He's saying this stuff because he's holy, and he knows unless this stuff happens, we'll never get the fruit we're looking for. So it was hard for, for me to have that conversation, but it was one of those things where I'm like, so it was... But it was like a separation. I had to be able to distinguish my common behavior from what God was calling me to. It was a little embarrassing. I'm supposed to be the lead pastor. I'm supposed to not be a tool bag. You know, I was like not be a jerk. And I was at times. Or I can be, un- I can be uncaring or too business-like sometimes. But it was a deep time of revelation for me that I, I needed to... But it it was God's love. Now, I can persist and be like, no, screw you, you're out of here. I'm firing you, I'm firing you. Honey, you just know, this is how I'm gonna be. There's people that do that. There's times where we all do that. But God was not inviting me because he hates me or because he wants to make me feel bad permanently. He wants me to feel bad enough, I think, in the moment, so I change. But he wants our lives to be different. And so he brings it to us now because, friends, every knee will bow to Jesus. And he says it's better for you to fall on the rock, that rock on the threshing floor, than to have that thing dropped on your head. Because the ones who get the unquenchable fire were the ones who never tripped over it and fell on their knee and said, Lord, if there's something to this, will you show me? And he's like, bam, bam, bam. He's like, yes, glad you asked. And it's not like looking there, he's not this cosmic fault finder that's like, yes. Because sometimes, isn't it nice to sometimes tell your spouse they're wrong? And sometimes like, yeah, you were wrong, honey. I especially sometimes take joy in that because my wife is right more than me, honestly. I think I'm that smart and this and that. And I But then there's sometimes when she's wrong and I like to be, yeah, yeah, just, you know, sometimes the way the cookie crumbles. And <laughs> but God's not like that. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need us to agree with him for him to feel right. What he's looking for is that people who will willingly bow their will, not because of some birthright, not because like some get out of jail free card, but that they just bowed their life over and over again and say, Jesus, come, do what you wanna do. He's not looking for servants. He's not looking for uh, peripheral advisors. He's looking for friends. He's looking for sons and daughters that he can adopt into his family that'll bear his name and look like Jesus. That's what he's looking, that's what he's after. Do you practice repenting? If this isn't a part of your regular, regular spiritual inventory, I wanna tell you, it's an invitation that the more you do this, the more fruit your life will have in it. Because listen, that Paul says, I know in me dwells no good thing. Do you know apart from Jesus, nothing in us Nothing in us will stand up when we stand before God, nothing. And so this uh, a repentance thing is hard, but it's, I think it's easier. I, I would rather pay someone a back a buck than pay them back a million. And anyone ever had that experience where you, you realized you stepped in it and you owed a million and it felt too heavy? Daily repentance is just like, oh God, I, I still need you. Oh, Jesus, I failed there. Lord, will you show me? And he constantly wants to show us how to come closer, but there's all these barriers in our flesh, in our world, and with the enemy that make it really hard. Are you a person of the word? It says his spirit would remind us of everything he wanted to say to us. If you're not a person of the word, please don't posture uh, like you're a mature Christian. You can still be a Christian, but please don't posture like you're some spiritual giant to people or like you're up on some seat that other people shouldn't, that they can't get to. If you're not in the word, I'm sorry, there's a spiritual immaturity there. This is the, this is the finite, this is the, Jesus is the word made flesh. He, like this stuff is his love letter, his message, his cliff notes, his bylaws, all of it to us. If you want to get deep and you want to grow spiritually, be a person of this. Well, I've already read the Bible. We'll keep reading it. Well, I've read it a bunch of times. We'll keep reading it more. Jesus, Jesus quotes it over and over again. It's sufficient for us. It's sufficient for us. Like there's enough in here. in um, first Peter it says, We have everything we need for godliness. Maybe you're really struggling, maybe you're like, dude. I know I'm under judgment. I know my life's a mess. I'm hanging on by a thread. I'm a pervert. I'm a liar. I'm an addict. I've been married eight times. Whatever it is, I just know I'm a failure. You, know, you feel like a failure. You have everything you need for godliness. Do you know that? There's not some junior Holy Spirit that you maybe have that other people got a bigger dose of, or there's not some better, like, there's, you have everything you need in Jesus to get out of this hole you're in. You do. You do. That's why discipleship's really important. Because people who can guide us out of this stuff. People who can guide us out of these messes that we're in our lives. That's why we gotta be honest with the Lord, with ourselves, with others. That's why it says tell the truth. Some of us live a lie. Some of us live a lie. I'm a spiritual giant, but I don't not really in this, or I don't really pray. Listen, give me a bunch of two-year-old Christians who are on their face every day in prayer and in the Bible versus a bunch of 50 people who have been in church 50 years just filling up pews that never cracked this open or said a prayer, but on, get me out of the speeding ticket. Give me, give me that army all day because God, God loves hunger. God loves hunger. Just because we're healthy or we're trying to obtain health doesn't mean we won't have cha- challenges or failure or disappointment. It's really important, friends, that we know the times and the seasons that we're in. And this is a time of separation. And I want to tell you, there's a ton of people in our world. The world's, not, last time I checked, the world's not getting better. It's not. It is not getting better. And there's a part of me, if I think about it too long, like I despair how fast the culture's declined. Like, I. Who loves living in a world where your kids can't even ride their bike down the street because some pervert will put them in their van or show them their, you know, whatever? Like, who who likes that world? Who likes in a world, like, as a woman where you can't really go somewhere without, like, knowing kung fu or having, like, a mace on you, you know, to, like, just avoid some pervert who wants to rip you off or, you know, seduce you or hurt you? Like, who likes this world we live in where no one tells the truth and no one's culpable and everyone's just angry? Like, our world is angry. But just like back then, the world's groaning. It's calling out. It's calling out for something. And Jesus has got his winnowing fork on the threshing floor and saying, church, stand up. Church, come with me. Church, stay. Church, bear fruit. Church, love. Church, surrender. Church, trust me. Church, get in my word. Church, get in prayer. Because I'm coming I'm coming and I want lots of people with you and the best way you can serve those people is not by being like them, but by being like me. It's about becoming like Jesus. It's about becoming like Jesus. We're gonna pray. We're gonna pray. Um, I just want you to um, join me. I, I'm not standing up here preaching at you. That's why I'll share stuff from my life. Like I want you to know that I sucketh too at times. Like I, I don't have it all together. I don't. I don't. I want it. I'm going for it. I will never lay down. I'll never quit. I'll never stop getting up to meet the Lord in the morning. I'll never stop reading his word. And you can throw me in a cellar. Honestly, I'm thankful I've read it enough that I've hidden his word like in my heart. They can take my body, but they can't swallow my soul. And that's the only reason I'm here. It's because I'll just keep going for it. Not because I'm like some spiritual, spiritually elite guy. Like if you knew me, if you get to know me, you'd be like, just a uh, yeah, you know, but it's, it's, it's just, I just want to be available to Jesus. And I'm not always the best at it. I just confess to you that. But I want to be. Not the best at it. I just want to give him my best. Just like the little drummer boy. Like, Lord, I ain't got a lot, but I got a drum, and I'll play it for you. Will you hope you like it. But if he tells me, hey, maybe hit this. Maybe try this. Maybe lay off that. He's not being, being a tyrant. He just wants me to play a better drum, not just for him, but for me too. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you minister in this church? Will you cause a revival to happen, Lord? But that revival, Lord, we're on the cusp of it. You, it's gonna happen, Lord. It's gonna either happen in our time or the next, but if we get it, Lord, you'll do it now because that's who you are. You're, you are separating the wheat from the chaff, Your winnowing fork is on your threshing floor, Lord, and you're stirring things up. You're stirring things up and you're beating things into place, Lord, by our culture, by COVID, by sin, by principalities, Lord. You're moving it all. You're the one at the helm, not the enemy, not the governments of the world. You're at the helm. And that, Lord, I pray that you would do something extravagant in every life here. If you don't mind, just put your hands out with me. You don't have to say it aloud but I want you to just say in your mind, Jesus, where have I offended you? Just let his spirit wash over you. And show you that Lord, we repent of whatever it is. Just say it to Jesus. Jesus, that thing I need to show you. I repent of dot, dot, dot. Maybe your heart's hard and you're saying, this message is stupid and there's nothing in it for me. Just ask Jesus to maybe crack through the hardness or blind spots maybe your heart's blowing away maybe you feel yourself drifting away and you're like I don't want to be chaff I don't want to drift away But I'm hanging on a long time and nothing's happening Ask him for breakthrough. Maybe forgive him. That might sound weird. Maybe you need to forgive God. Maybe you're holding against God that you haven't got what you wanted yet. I don't know if there's someone here who's got like a pain and like kind of back of their head behind their right eye. Is there anyone who's got something like that today? You need Prayer? got a headache anywhere or it could be behind your left eye I'm just feeling is there like anyone's got maybe nothing we're just going to pray together I'm going to ask everyone to pray out loud if you want to pray in English you want to pray in tongues if you speak a language better than English if you want to pray in it I call it I call it African style But just like an ax, they all prayed in one accord and... (sniffs) I want you to pray. We're going to just pray right now. We're going to ask Jesus to come and we're going to ask his fire to fall on us. We're going to ask his change, his winds of change, to fall on this church. I'm going to turn my mic off and I'm just going to pray. But let's all pray together. I want you literally to pray out loud. You won't feel goofy if everyone else is doing it too. Church, before we go today, I just feel like I'm supposed to remind you who you are. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy generation. You're a people chosen by God, deeply loved. You're a people that he has no desire to turn over to the dark one. You're a people that were bought with a price. You're a people that he saw fit to lay down his life for to surrender his only son as a sacrifice in your place, you are worth it to God. This message is all about, is he worth it to us? Will we say, yeah. And he wants you to. Not for a trophy case, but because he loves you. Would you come, Holy Spirit, Jesus, would you come your sweet presence, would you meet us today? Would you break our hearts of the things that break yours? Would you forgive us for our sins? They're piled up. You you know every one of them, even though we're not aware of a lot of them. Would you forgive us so your fire could fall on this church, Lord, and not just to blow out and burn up the chaff, but to refine us into what you want us to be for the sake of the world? Love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, if you're new, uh, we didn't I don't just uh, make sure you fill out like a connect card in front of you. If you need prayer, fill that out. We we pray for you. We love to pray with you and for you. And um, encourage you to come for Thanksgiving. You know, you might not you might say, I don't have any money or I don't have any time. You know, you can pray. Or maybe I have money, but I don't have time. Pray. You know, or, or and give money, whatever it looks like, we can all bring something to this. So it'd just be great to have. We got 251 meals to deliver. I think it'd be awesome if like 100 people showed up and we all just had to bring two or three. Yeah, so as your pastor, I'm giving you permission to take off work early on Thursday, on Tuesday, if you need to, to come help us. Okay, you can tell them. They're like, Well, why do you want to do that? I was like, hey just kidding i i really don't have that kind of clout but i just want to act like i do sometimes so well hey go this week be loved you're the beloved go and sin less and let the holy spirit meet you this week and be thankful be thankful for this challenge that's an invitation to be more like jesus love y'all